Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined as always by Will Rotondi. Hey, good afternoon. And May Finch. Hey, everyone. On today's episode, take four, we are going to be covering all about Eve and Mean Girls. It's our first versus mode card. If you uh, did not tune into last week's episode, we uh, drew a card where we're going to be comparing and contrasting these two films and declaring a definitive winner by our own individual criteria. So uh, there's three of us, which means there can't be a tie. I think that's how math works. Uh, So I'll be very curious to see where we come down on this. But first, we are going to wish another special birthday to 2001 A Space Odyssey which released on April 2nd in 1968. Do I have that right, Will? Fact check me. I will gladly do that. I feel like you're correct, but let me double check. I'm doing that off of, uh, off of memory because I did look at it earlier. Uh, yep, this 68. week. Nailed it. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite Kubrick movies, but one that I'll admit is, uh, is a bit of a slog, like if you're not in the right headspace and certainly took me a couple of tries to like, I had some false starts in this one. Uh, look, it's very soothing. There's lots of classical music and beautiful imagery. Um, it is it's a great movie uh, to watch if you are uh, very awake and feeling cerebral. Not a great movie to watch if you're feeling a bit sleepy or sick, which is the first two times that I, I try to watch it and stalled out. Uh, have both of you seen this? Absolutely. But I also watched it when I was a kid the first time. And so for me, it was the pacing that really threw me off where I got tired of it really quickly. But when I watched it later as eh, probably in middle school, um, I definitely had more of an appreciation for it. I have yeah. not seen it, but I do have a somewhat embarrassing story related to it. Oh, please. Do <laughs> yes, do tell. I love it, especially uh, in light of this episode of the movies we're going to talk about. Give me the embarrassing story, please. Oh, God. Okay. So in college, uh, I went on a, a first date with a guy. And we had both like previously like shared our favorite movies and his was 2001 A Space Odyssey and mine was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And he just, he just really insisted that we should watch one of our favorite movies on this first date, despite <laughs> neither of those being a good first date movie. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> and man. we flipped a coin and Eternal Sunshine won and we did not go on a second date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, i don't know if that's because of that movie in particular but uh yeah i can tell you right now like um to be honest like if i had suggested uh especially in like my early 20s that we watched 2001 a space odyssey i probably that's like the equivalent of netflix and show like i got other stuff on my mind probably like let's be real like so not to say that's what happened in your case but um i would not have suggested that as uh you know with the intention of probably any either of us paying attention i'll just leave it there um i i love i do love this movie um in fact like a little little nerd talk um they just put an emote into destiny that i paid like real world money for because it was the uh, the the ape bashing the the pile of bones and and throwing the uh the bone into the sky i was like well there's a kubrick uh emote in one of my favorite video games awesome Uh, it is it is great um yeah i think there's like the special effects hold up really well like i think that jupiter and beyond the infinite sequence is something that i still it's like 20 minutes like i still watch from time to time because it's just mind-blowing to me 
um, how ahead of its time it is. Like it's almost 10 years before Star Wars. And I think like um, it like not only like hangs with Star Wars in terms of how impressive the special effects are, but I think in some ways like it surpasses like sort of like what a space travel space warp movie could be. So. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Are we uh, are we fans of Hal? Uh, um, uh, well, I, I should ask. Will are you are you a fan of Hal? I thought that character is like one of the saving graces for me. The first time I watched the movie, I loved how sinister and and unsettling that uh, that robot character is. He is well, and he's also so conflicted. You know, it was like before we had um, sort of the android questions of films like Alien or Aliens that it was Hal was sort of the first robot that was that humans were not exactly too sure about what his intentions were, but it was because of confliction of what he, what he thought his directive was. So he was just doing what he thought he was programmed to do. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, sorry, you were on the short end of that stick, but this is the way he's going. So you got, he is kind of master of the ship, <laughs> so, but um, I don't know. I think that it definitely holds up today in terms of the cinematography is gorgeous like you were saying the special effects for the age were amazing and they still hold up because you look at some of the scenes like when they're going up to the space station at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the film um or even just some of the realism because there's so much like star wars for instance was always like the shooty shooty bang bang in space you hear everything but in 2001 it tried to be more realistic where you don't really hear anything Especially when um, I want to say Bowman is the other one who's is it Bowman or Poole who goes outside and and is doing work on the array. I can't remember which guy it is, but you know all you hear is their breathing for like fifteen minutes while he's just kind of you know slowly um, floating along <laughs> to go out and do some work outside the ship. So I think in in terms of pacing that it, again when I was a kid and I watched that I thought God this is so long. But going back and watching it now, it's very atmospheric. It's very gentle. And, and, and I think in that respect is actually more realistic and beautiful because of that. But again, you have to be in the right mindset. You can't just go in and expect like an action movie, for instance, because that is so far from it. But yeah. Uh, reading the novel too is a recommendation I often give to people. Like if they like the film, I'm like, if you um are swept up in, in kind of the the majesty of of the film like because it's i mean it, it's a feast for the eyes and, and the ears really uh the novel gives great sort of context to a lot of things uh and it's a very short read i think it's a couple hundred pages um and it was written uh i think like after like the film was like well into production so like i think it started off as a screenplay and then he wanted to to write like the novel to kind of have um a, a separate way of like telling that story and then had you know intentions to write sequel books which he did i think there was three sequels to it so yeah uh what was it 20 2010 and like 2068 and i think he did like 3001 arthur c clark uh, correct on all fronts so yeah it's always that nice. third one that i'm like is it it's 20 like 60 or 70 something like it's a weird like you know non uh like mm-hmm. easy to remember like uh, kind of number so but yeah I may forget about Carl Sagan, but Arthur C. Clarke, I will hold it down for. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the well, and actually, you talked about that it was being written during the production. And I would actually say that it's better to watch the film before you read the book. Yes. It's like one of those rare cases where I would recommend movie first and then book, because yes. so much of the film is interpretation, especially at the very end. And 
I think that going in knowing what, at least from Arthur C. Clarke's perspective of what that was supposed to be versus maybe leaving it more open-ended like we have in the film, I would definitely recommend visually, you know, going through that journey than reading it first. I 100% concur. I think it's like, get the context after, like uh, have kind of a, you know, a blank palette and uh, like afterwards, like, you know, after you've drawn your conclusions, see like how that jives with like what the author's like intent was. Cause I think it is very exposition-y if I remember, it's been a long, I haven't spent since high school, but like I, the book, like I felt like really much didn't leave a lot like up to interpretation. It was sort of like, this is what's going on. Um, yep which is, is kind of disappointing. Like after, you know, uh, like I think the film just tackles it beautifully. Uh, mm-hmm. My favorite little conspiracy uh, theory before we move on is that um, I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. Uh, he wanted <laughs> uh, Pink Floyd to, to do the score originally um, to this, mm-hmm. like because Kubrick loved their, their music. And a lot of people think the, the song Echoes, which originally had space themed lyrics was supposed to be written like for this film. Uh, because it perfectly from the first little ping in the song uh, if you start that at Jupiter and beyond the infinite that little title card uh, it Um, it ends at the exact moment that like the uh, the screen fades with uh, the the image that probably a lot of people know of the star child as that fades the song like fades and it's like it's the perfect length so whether or not that's true who knows but uh, you can YouTube you could find um, somebody that's synchronized it and uh it is fantastic. It is a really, really cool um, piece of, uh, I don't know, conspiracy theory, like cinema <laughs> history, you know, kind of thing. So I could fact check that uh, we both experienced that in college <laughs> together. Yep. I do remember you showing that to me. Yep. Oh, that's, that's, that is that is the case. Yep. yep. Uh, seems, that tracks. Um, yeah, it was one of those things that I found my, you know, because it was like combining two of my favorite things, which is like film and then, you know, Pink Floyd. So. Yeah, uh, it's also two of my favorite things, which is film and conspiracy theories. So, nice. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Excellent. The truth is out there. <laughs> I just oh. think they're fascinating, especially the ones that actually like gain traction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, like the number of people that believe it or support it or join together and provide evidence to it. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, I love falling down the rabbit hole on some of that stuff. It's great. Uh, Marianne has never seen The Rock and uh, I told her I'm like one of my favorite things like I've I've not viewed the film since I've uh, heard this and read like and went down like deep down like the Reddit rabbit hole um, <laughs> but the theory is that like uh, Sean Connery's character in The Rock is supposed to be James Bond like oh, I've people, heard that there's yeah. lots of compelling evidence that like where like the timeline of like Bond like specifically the Conner Connery movies huh. uh where like he kind of drops off the face of the of the earth um you know and it's like the implication is that he was in uh prison and like some of the the line anyway you could go down that rabbit hole so i'm now <laughs> when we watch this film i'm going to be like kind of reading it from that um yeah. angle and see how it kind of like do do i agree or not agree because i had haven't seen that in forever so oh man i wouldn't put it past michael bay to do that just for shits and grins man like <laughs> <laughs> my gut with like you know nothing more than just viewing like or reading people's uh sort of like evidence is that i think it's just one of those things that's just kind of fun to imagine i don't know how intentional but we'll see like the 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 viewing will be where i kind of finally come down on i think like yes this is or is not but be a clever way to get around licensing snafus you know just don't say the character name but have everything else there right 
This is John Mason. Yes, <laughs> not James Bond. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. So cool. Well, um, let's transition over to our game board here really quickly, and uh, let's draw a side quest, shall we? All right. Let us draw. It is another Dreamcast. So Dreamcast <laughs> for our audience members is where we will recast um, a character in a film with a different actor. So um, this may take us a few Ooh. minutes so we can cut around this. Like if, if we have to kind of uh, <laughs> kind of brainstorm. Um, actually, I have one. Here we go. I've got one. Um, I'm also going to use a bit of like film history to kind of help guide this. But uh, I don't know if either of you have seen Last Action Hero uh, with... Oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger it's this big meta movie it was hated it, people hated it when it came out and I actually regard it as I think it's quite clever and a lot of fun uh I don't Is it know kind of it, like the like epic movie scary movie like franchise no I mean it, it is in that like it it leans into so it's a metatextual film where like the premise is that a young child who's a big fan of like Arnold Schwarzenegger's work uh is like um transported into like the movies and he's like trying to convince him that like he's a fictional character right he's like dude like you're a fictional character um and there's a sequence where uh, and it plays up all the tropes of course and like the um all the cliches and things uh i i love that movie but anyway so there's a sequence where they're in blockbuster and the kid's like i'm gonna prove to you that you're you're uh not like a real person <laughs> that you're like this is an actor and a character and he goes over to the shelf and he pulls off terminator 2 like off the video shelf i think or maybe it's a poster and it's sylvester stallone instead of arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> and he's like what the fuck man like no he's like you're this is you this is not sylvester stallone so i would like to take a moment to imagine an alternate universe where you take the terminator and you go from arnold schwarzenegger to sylvester stallone oh <laughs> my gosh oh man some of the some of those classic lines from like t2 where he's just like uh Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry oh, yeah. sylvester stallone i promise I'm, I'm not making fun of you that's that's a really good one <laughs> oh, that is good i'll be back you know i'll be back <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this like so physique wise like i think like he could he's got the physique right like especially like peak stallone like uh, like if you google like an image of him in like rocky three for example rocky three stallone like he is shredded like i think like that stallone could easily have played like a killer cyborg right and yeah. in my mind so like for my money i think Stallone would be way more believable and like I, I would buy this recasting as like the evil Terminator that doesn't talk a lot and is sort yep. of like more of like a physical like you know like unstoppable like presence that uh, it's just relentless right like I could say I think that would be very interesting now where I don't know how I feel it would work, it would actually be T2 like where he is yeah. you know heroic and he has to have this sort of like I think Schwarzenegger does such a good job like walking that balance of like he's still a machine right he doesn't feel things but like as an audience member like you almost like want to think that he feels things by how he interacts with John I don't know if Stallone could have done that but what do you guys think like uh about that casting choice <laughs> I mean I literally just googled Sylvester Stallone peak 
to make sure I knew exactly the physique that he had in his beak. And I, I would have to agree. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean like uh visual check mark, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I I think it would just be a different spin. I again I feel like it's it's because we're so used to Arnold Schwarzenegger as Terminator, like that's why it would be hard to kind of imagine him. But I also would see him making the role completely his own if he had started out in it. And I think we'd be laughing at the idea of having Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movies and that the alternate universe. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Like, I, I think like it's hard for me to imagine like Stallone again, like where he, like it's a lot more dialogue heavy in Terminator 2, like being able yeah. to pull that off, like and not come across as like funny or like unbelievable. One where he's yeah. just like you know, says like short set, like fuck you asshole, right? Is like <laughs> the, uh, mostly like stuff like that, where like it's very short, quick, blank. But um, but you could be right. I mean, like, listen, like I'm sure like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, had he not been like a, a very famous bodybuilder, probably would not have been wanted for that that role at all. People would have been like this, you know, Austrian, like nobody, like that. Uh, like, as far as like actors are concerned, like why do you want to put him in this movie, right? And of course, like. I mean the uh like the history kind of speaks for itself or like where he went from there like that I mean he was already pretty famous but it catapulted him so I feel like the the fact that Stallone has done so I guess I mean he's so stoic in all of the Rambo movies mm. I feel like might be it's arguable that maybe he could pull off just the very dead-faced you know very straightforward robotic sort of acting that you're looking for if you wanted to uh, i do agree that when it comes to articulating some of the lines especially in the sequel that may be a little bit more difficult but i don't know i would be interested to see him try it now that you say it the more that we talk about it the more that i think i might be able to picture it i don't know if it would be the same result um, I definitely don't think the relationship that the Terminator and young John Connor have in the second one would have been the same, but I mm -hmm. think that it would have been an interesting take to have seen it tried. And, you know, to be clear, I'm not saying he doesn't have chops. So you bring up Rambo, which I'm glad you did. Um, I, like I would argue like the original, like, so first blood, like mm -hmm. uh, is an excellent film, like not just a good movie. That's an excellent film uh, as like a standalone movie. Like the sequels are like what, people tend to imagine like big action sequences m60s under both arms like kind of just like, <laughs> that first film is a character movie like about yeah. a guy who's got post-traumatic stress from vietnam and is being crapped on by you know a brutal uh sheriff like who doesn't like him because he perceives him to be like trash basically and it's about somebody that has, you know, a psychological break as a result of like kind of the combination of those two things, like police brutality and sort of post-traumatic stress. I think that, I mean, if you've never seen that, uh, May, I highly like the, just the first one is fantastic. Um, it is really, really a great film. But, um, so I think like looking at something like that, like, um, there's, there's sequences in that that are very moving, like as far as like acting chops, like, and so I, I, I wanted to just clarify and say like, I think he has it. I just, uh. <laughs> We're not that here role. to slander Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, would never. No. Uh, I just, I just don't know. Like, it's that because it is a, it's a very tight rope. Um, in two particular, like where he's got to be believably likable, but still not like emote. Like, and uh, mm -hmm. it's one of the brilliant things that, that that movie does. Um, I'm trying to think like what else like to 
uh like makes up the terminator films where that like recasting would sort of have an effect yeah <laughs> hmm. no i mean that's about it really i think he's got the action chops it would be more of the kind of the interactions with the other characters i can follow I... I just want them to do a reboot with Sylvester Stallone now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, if the podcast ever gets massive, uh, if we ever have celebrity guests, like, I feel like uh, he owes it to us to uh, to, <laughs> to do some readings, you know what I mean? We got to feed him some lines and, and uh, just see how it goes. Exactly. So we kind of bashed your acting, so we'd really like you to come show us. We did. You know I clarified. We <laughs> I love Sylvester Stallone. Like, I do. Again, the original Rocky, fantastic. I think that's another great character film. Like, I think he gets a bad rap oh, because yeah. he does a lot of like, you know, action-y type stuff. Like, um, yeah, cool. All right. I mean, I would, and and for my two cents on loving Stallone, like I will still go out of my way to watch some of that stuff. Like even like the goofier stuff. So like Demolition Man, like I will 100%, if there's a Stallone flick or a, a Schwarzenegger flick on, there is no question that I would still enjoy that stuff. So yeah, over the top, least, come on, man. Like, oh yeah, like Wesley <laughs> Snipes and uh, oh man, that movie's great. Taco Bell is like the only restaurant that still survives in the future. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I can I can follow the logic of this film. It's almost like it was it was prescient somehow, but nah. yeah, no, I I agree. Like uh, he's from an era, um, but uh, you know, I like. I, I like that he did some other kind of like more like nuanced character. It's, it's nice to see action stars that can pull that off as well, you know? And a lot mm-hmm. of people forget, like he wrote like Rocky's, like his script. That's a fantastic, yeah. um, you know, um, again, like amazing movie, the sequels, like different story. Like they, they kind of vary in quality and they are much more like kind of formulaic and like fun. But that original like film is um, like easily, you can argue it's in the top 100 greatest movies of all time. Like, yeah. let us transition to uh our main topic our main quest uh so we are going to be talking about all about eve and mean girls which is our very first uh versus mode so i will give some background here on these two films all about eve was uh, released in 1950 and was adapted uh, from a uh, short story which appeared in Cosmopolitan Magazine in 1946 called The Wisdom of Eve by Mary Orr. Uh, it was adapted into a screenplay and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. I hope I'm saying that name right. Uh, and contrastly, we have Mean Girls, a 2004 release with a screenplay by Tina Fey, directed by Mark Waters, and was based on Queen Bees and Wannabes. Which brings me to May's board. Uh, oh, just, I just spoiled your, I <laughs> yeah, just spoiled you your thing. Oh, <laughs> man. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. I had you did your research. So. <laughs> I did. Okay. Well, we, can, uh, we can make a little uh, Mark go back, edit that out, and I'll just pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, I told you I have vacation brain already. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Well, the trivia that I was going to piggyback off of yours was, uh, so true or false, Queen Bees and Wannabes <laughs> is a work of nonfiction. So the source material for Mean Girls, that's my, my trivia. I, I, I looked this up to write my trivia question, so I already know the answer. So, Will. <laughs> <laughs> that's a work of nonfiction? Let's mm-hmm. mm. say false. So you think it's a work of fiction? 
It is actually yes. a work of nonfiction. It is a self-help book oh. that yep. was written to help uh, parents understand the complex world of navigating high school cliques and bullies and things of that nature. So yeah. I kind of wow. want to, I kind of want to read it because like, I've seen a lot of nightmarish parenting books from like the eighties and nineties. And I, I imagine I like, I, I like Mean Girls. I think it does like have uh, like it deals with that issue. Well, um, mm-hmm. So I feel like it probably is a, a decent guidebook, but I, I'm wary just because of the era it was made in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think even modern, you could probably find some nightmarish like things like released like in modern times, you know, like it is yeah. interesting to see. It's almost like, you know, fad uh, diets, like in a way with like the advice that young people or are, are, are parents are given like on like, this is how you... And it like the truth is so much more complicated usually than like what they boil it down to, right? Like, right. And uh, those kind of books. Um, well, if you do, please report back because I would be curious to hear uh, what you uncover. We'll do a screen quest reading series. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, both adaptations, um, very different adaptations, um, obviously. Um, but uh, that's kind of where like the similarities uh, start with, with both of these. Um, so what I wanted to, to talk about to kind of kick us off is I think structurally these movies have a lot of similarities, right? Like kind of like the crux of the plot, um, specifically um, climbing the social ladder and uh, two women being kind of at the center of a power struggle. So um, that's where I wanted to kind of kick us off and like similarities that, that um, you, you both uh, may have noticed uh, between the films um, specifically around those things. Uh, so, yeah. I'm trying to think of how to word this, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how both Margot and Regina kind of take like the newer slash younger women under their wing. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like, Margaret has some reservations, but she's somewhat sincere in, in, in taking even initially. Uh, whereas with Regina, um, it feels very two-faced the entire time. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of like the biggest difference I noticed. Um, I do think that you're supposed to, because of the point of view, especially, you're supposed to sympathize with Margot and all about Eve, whereas you're supposed to sympathize more with Katie in, in Mean Girls which is, you know, kind of the, the flipped position if we're like directly comparing these. Yes, that, that is uh, an excellent observation. Uh, the perspectives and, and sympathies sort of being like reversed from, from film to film. Uh, obviously, I think like uh, ageism is something that doesn't really factor into Mean Girls because it's set in high school, right? Like where everybody is probably uh, perceives themselves as invincible and, and, you know, like they're never going to get older, whereas like it is very much a central theme in um, All About Eve and I think plays a bigger role in uh, those dynamics and sort of um, where, where the beef lies, so to speak. One thing that is, uh, I think, not central, but like present in both films is um, the like affections and attention of men and how that kind of factors into uh, the rivalry, I guess, like is the best word I can come up with off the top of my head between, um, you know, uh, each of the pairings there and the the films. I think they have very different conclusions. Um, Do you guys, do, do you see like Mean Girls as sort of a more natural evolution where uh in other words like 
I think like all about Eve kind of falls back on that like normal like or heteronormal like this is like like the logical conclusion to this like at least for for Margot whereas like Mean Girls seems to be a little bit more like liberate like that that plot device kind of falls off by the end right like it's it's not as central so what did you guys make of that is that just time uh and evolution you know social evolution uh unfolding on the silver screen or do you think there's something more to it than that i mean i think their youth in mean girls has a lot to do with that difference right it's uh, they're 16 year olds in high school i i guess at one point it would have been normal for them to get like you know married the next summer but it's not really the norm anymore right yeah. um i would argue a lot of those high school movies though do very much like have that sort of like romantic like ending where like there is like a coupling right you think like about like your uh, american pies for example or something like that where they're like um i guess it depends on the character but a lot of times there is sort of that like yeah they're not married or anything but like they they sort of end up together and it becomes like the uh, like I guess the thing that the audience can latch on to for like this is how we know things are resolved right like yeah well correct me if I wrong if I'm wrong but like Katie and Aaron are together at the end right like yeah 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 um I think you are correct but I, I feel like it's one of those things like I don't know for like for my money like uh th- and we'll get to this in, in a second because I have like a whole like list of uh of um kind of thematic things around um like balance and like sort of like uh homeostasis and all this stuff but like um i think that's almost that takes a backseat to like where like i think mean girl seems to be more interested in like uh the natural order of things and sort of like restoring balance like within the the high school at the end right like and Mm -hmm. right and how truth and rumors kind of factor into that so um yeah, I think it's a, it's a good pay, good point. It's a fair point that they, they do end up. Um, interesting that it's uh, Katie and Aaron and not Regina and Aaron, because I think you could sort of, uh, you know, argue that like you, you, you may have been able to sort of show like character growth um, a bit more. Like Regina's obviously unfaithful, right, to, uh, to Aaron, whereas I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like, so I know like when Katie and, and Aaron are kind of brought together like that doesn't play out and then there's not really much like interaction after that where it's like um she, like there's a portrayal of like um him being unfaithful right or am i do i have that backwards am i misremembering this <laughs> um i so when aaron is still dating regina i know like katie like makes out with him and he does like pull back and is like yeah i can't do this and that's right. when she's like oh well regina's cheating on you anyway um, I don't think Aaron ever cheats on Katie. I think that like he he knows she's interested, and then Regina comes and like tries to, like, basically takes it back, and yeah. so he forgets her. Yes, yeah, you're correct. It, it's weird because this feels like navigating high school rumors, like <laughs> yeah, just talking about this movie a little bit. Um, yeah, and interesting that there's like a similar scene in All About Eve, right, with Bill and Eve and Bill's Margot's fella, sort of. Um, and there's that a similar sort of rejection that happens early on way more nefarious, I think, like on the part of E versus like, uh, Katie, but, um, but a pretty similar scene nonetheless. Both take place on a bed. Just saying. Yeah. That would have been quite scandalous for the, uh, for the 1950s for, uh, for all yeah. about Eve. I guess that's why it was a like a theater set for where that scene took place. Versus, I imagine like, that that was probably a cheeky yeah. way. Yeah, uh, I hadn't considered yeah. that's that. That's a good so. point. Yeah, yeah. 
because we yep. do see the the beds that are separated later for the um oh geez names Richard. Richard, yes right? exactly yeah for when they get called up in the middle of the night and you see that they're both sleeping in separate beds and i and i had forgotten that this at the time frame for when this film came out sort of what the i guess because of the Hayes code about mm -hmm. what was okay and what was not okay to show yeah um in a lot of ways i think this film is able to to navigate like the the themes feel very mature in in this movie like i think uh it, it always blows my mind like i like in my head like i had it that this came out in like the mid to late 50s which you know wouldn't seem like it would make that much of a difference but there's quite a stark contrast from like 1950 and then like 59 for the type of movies that were were coming out and sort of how things were starting to relax um you know a bit so uh let's let's talk about all, all about eve specifically here i guess like and then we'll we'll pivot to mean girls and then i want to talk about more of the interplay between the two of them but um first first viewing for for both of you i know may you said this was your first time seeing it was this your first time seeing this as well um will all about eve so i saw this back in film class back in college yeah and i and truthfully i can't remember which film class it was but i do remember that it was um i feel like it had to do a lot with well i guess it was power dynamics was what we were talking about but yeah i can't remember if this was more of like a world cinema class or more of a sex and cinema style but i guess you were in sex and cinema with me we, so i can't speak to that no that was now. probably not it yeah it's probably film noir no <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, uh, it's been a while, but it was one of the, I remembered most of what took place in it, uh, but I had forgotten some of the sort of the pieces in the middle connecting from the beginning and the end. And I'd also forgotten that Marilyn Monroe shows up in this film because I have actually not seen any Marilyn Monroe films where she is the star, but I remember that being a point that was made after rewatching it. And it was like, oh yeah, I do remember that sort of being name dropped when we saw this way back when so yeah but it was it was cool to to see that her and then also i haven't really seen anything else with betty davis either and so i feel like that's sort of a, a good reference point to go back and start watching more old classic cinema uh if you need a recommendation for marilyn monroe films look no further than some like it hot which um, i think it, yeah. it after dr strangelove is my second favorite like comedy of all time and uh you know jack lemon and uh tony curtis in and drag for the entire movie um because they're run from the mob and they both fall in love with marilyn monroe who thinks that they are uh you know other uh women musicians and it is just hilarious and timeless that movie is great so here's my recommendation <laughs> for you nice. um for a marilyn monroe flick like it's a good place to start for sure uh what did you make of this may like so this was your first time correct like it was yeah enjoy it i enjoyed it a lot i uh uh was a bit of a theater kid in college and i was just like you know what some of this dialogue is definitely kind of like over the top it's all supposed to be like full of like these witty zingers and everything is kind of a metaphor for the stage but it's at least 50 percent of that was realistic for theater people cutthroat <laughs> yes um so like that was enjoyable i i I I love Margot's character because I feel like it's it's rare in this time period. Again, maybe it's different because it's early 1950s, but to see a like confidence and you know somewhat problematic woman and like see her like navigate, you know, 
a very interesting social issue. Uh, she does end up married at the end, and that's kind of like the, you know, what wraps it all, all up in a bow, and I don't love that necessarily for how that uh, kind of like takes care of everything. But yeah, I just, I love what they did with her character. She's like someone I would not have expected to see in the 1950s in a, you know, a major film. Um, so that kind of blew me away. And I'll talk about this more when we actually like say which film was our favorite, but I, I liked that there were discussions of kind of like the double-edged sword of being a, a famous or public woman. Um, that didn't feel like ham-fisted or like, you know, just kind of like shoved in there because they had to talk about it. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, absolutely. It, like you bring up a good point. I think that might, but may have been more of a product of the time, like where Margot ends up. Like it does like that. That's one of the few things that I wrote down. Like that feels like most of this movie's timeless to me, but like that right there, sort of the resolution of that, where I was just like, eh, this is kind of disappointing because like, I get that this is probably where she needed to, to end up, especially to show kind of the moral, like, high ground, you know, like, contrasting with Eve. But um, but you were right. Like, I mean, the portrayals, like, up to that point for most of the movie are, I mean, it's touching. Like, the older I get, I think the more I can really start to sympathize with that feeling of, like, getting older. And, um, I, I mean, I, I found her performance to be very moving, right? And, like, human, um, the things that she sort of struggles with and things that she's feeling, the insecurity, um and uh you know just having to reconcile um what it's like to to get to get older and and you know to maybe like fall out of the spotlight um a little bit as well um you know especially in the context of having like this young like you know up and coming like actress nipping at her you know heels like pretends not to be for most of the movie you know like oh this is just circumstantial um <laughs> but but yes, I, I agree. A couple of little quick uh, pieces of uh, trivia that I thought were interesting on, on this movie. So her uh, croaky uh, vocal quality um, in the film is uh, actually, it's kind of a sad thing, like as a result of uh, near, free, um, you know, constant uh, screaming matches with um, her uh, soon-to-be ex-husband. So she was going through mm. a pretty tumultuous uh, divorce and uh, it made her voice raspy and, and the director thought it was kind of an interesting quality and was, you know, didn't have her try to work around it but uh it's kind of sad to like you know see that on screen and and um realize like what it is but especially uh, given what she's going through in the, as a character in the film too <laughs> like, yeah yeah absolutely uh, her co-star um gary uh, morell who played bill in the film fell in love in real life um and uh they were married for 10 years and uh i guess she remarked that they it's similar to the movie where she says like i think he's fallen in love with margot um you know like mm -hmm. the actress like not like the real margot she remarked that she felt the same thing had happened with uh, the situation that they their characters kind of fell in love but like uh not reality and she had begged uh joseph Mankwicks to to do a sequel for years and years and then I guess bumped into him uh, at a party later and said joe you can forget that sequel i've played it and it doesn't work so um she wanted to do a sequel about her and <laughs> and bill Aww. um so um very interesting stuff this was credited as sort of rescuing her career she had been in some films that didn't do so hot um you know leading up to this and said that this like single-handedly was responsible for her kind of rising back up to the top and and becoming um you know a force to be reckoned with again um 
a lot of people think the last bit of trivia, uh, because her and Anne Baxter were nominated for, for best actress. A lot of people think that it probably split the vote. So neither of them won. Um, and yeah. somebody else went home with the, uh, the statue at the end of the night, but, uh, no way to know that. Cause it's not like, you know, uh, public knowledge, like how the votes break out, but, um, that seems that rings probably true to me like it seems like something that would probably pretty easily happen like if you've got two people that are um sort of neck and neck you could have somebody that you know <laughs> doesn't get um you know uh or is able to win i guess because the votes are split so much between the others so yeah well if there's anything that i learned from mean girls it's that you can always take the reward at the end and divide it up yeah. so everybody can get a piece <laughs> of that statue just snap it <laughs> compliment each person and just divvy it out everybody's a winner (laughs) (laughs) everyone is beautiful everyone is a winner (laughs) that's right yeah i I definitely have thoughts on the resolution that i want to talk through with you guys for both of these films because it's a very different ending uh yes from from one film to the other uh but just before i forget because i probably will i did want to give a quick shout out to thelma ritter who uh played birdie in this and who's one of my favorite characters in uh rear window she's a great uh character actress who got a lot of you know um oscar love like is in terms of nominations especially um but she's just wonderful um i forgot that she was in this and all of the, the scenes with her i feel like she almost like stole the show or at least like you know she's um you know standing up next to giants and like she is um just as wonderful as anybody else in any of the scenes that she's in so she's such a grounding character too like you you have these people who are speaking in this kind of very like high metaphor like you know stage dialect and then she's just like bullshit <laughs> yeah, well like, right. she's got she a very it. strong like what is it like brooklyn accent right yeah which was i guess like a um sort of a, a trademark of hers and then um also like uh she her reaction immediately to hearing eve's story is like like that she recognizes it for exactly what it is, which is it's farcical, you know, kind of like um, at best and probably a flat out lie, like, um, which is interesting. Um, So that brings me to like my first, like, uh, or or I should say like my next prompt for you guys. So truth and rumors and information kind of play a factor in both of these, like how the truth is either obscured or used. Um, So I wanted to talk a bit about like, the concept of truth or reality in both of these movies like um and how like truth functions within um each of them so we can start with uh mean girls give mean girls a little love and then we'll, we'll transition <laughs> back to uh all about eve if you want yeah there's um obviously there's the big reveal of the burn book towards the end which feels like kind of you know where all of that comes to a head like all the all the secrets and lies and and gossip um, I, I, the idea of like the three-way phone call was very funny to me. Um, yes. Was that actually a thing people would do to each other? Oh, May, thanks for making me feel very old already. Like, all about these did it. Yes, it is. Uh, it actually is. It was a very common thing. Like if you had the ability to do three-way calling, um, it was kind of a status symbol, which, uh, yeah. you know, in the con- context of this movie, like I'm sure like, you know, it's not hard to imagine that, uh, that being something that they would forward over like, Hey, like we can do three-way calls like that and call waiting. were like two phone functions that like, were not standard on um, like phones or phone lines and um, we're a bit of a status symbol. So, but yep, they were definitely done and you, you could prank. So uh, to give you a little context, I'm going to really date myself here, but if you like, 
you could you could prank people that way or do something like untoward but it was also a great way like if you wanted one of your friends to know that somebody thought they were cute or like them like if they didn't believe it you could always like have them like mute their line and then like do a three-way call and and like have somebody like talk with somebody about them um not realizing that they were on the phone and be like see she thinks you're cute right like it's basically out. it's basically the the equivalent of the modern like taking screenshots and sending <laughs> them to people. Yeah. Yep. That's true. <laughs> yep. So interesting. Uh, okay. Continue. But so, yeah, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to derail that. But yeah, that, <laughs> it was a thing that happens. <laughs> sorry, I went to high school in the 2010s. Spin that up. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So yeah. So like, there's a lot going on with like, you know, truth depending on who you're talking to, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And when the burn book comes out, it's suddenly, you know, the audience is everyone and everyone loses their shit. And um, I think it's very telling the moment in the auditorium when, you know, Tina Fey's character is asking, okay, you know, who's who's been gossiped about? All right. Who's spread gossip? And everyone raises their hands for both. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's, that's how high school is. And I think the film does a good job of capturing the feeling like it's the end of the world if there's a rumor going around about you because like I know that's how I felt in high school anytime something went around about me um, or anyone else I knew and it's it's really not but it feels that way because of your age and I know we'll talk about all about Eve next but I think that that's another place where like the age of the characters is very different and causes a very different effect with like the weight of the lies and the rumors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also like in Mean Girls, like, um, well, actually really in both films, but I mean, like rumors are sort of weaponized like um, a little bit, but like in Mean Girls, it's more to like suppress like popularity or like status. Um, And there's sort of a, yeah, I talked a little bit about balance Um, when the truth is like ultimately revealed. So like what's what's true, what's false. And and to your point, like everybody realizing that it's more of a universal experience than they probably think. Um, the, that, that balance is kind of restored and people have almost like a clear vision of their peers and of each other, you know, like, um, than they do, um, prior to that scene. I think it's very cathartic. Like, I love that trust fall, um, scene. <laughs> um, it is such a beautiful representation of like, it's silly, you know, right. But it's such a beautiful representation of, of like everybody, um, you know, bearing their soul a little bit and, uh, being vulnerable, um, and I think like, um, sort of that, that confession and being truthful is what allows like, you know, the clearing of the air, I guess, is what allows that balance to, to kind of shift back a little bit. And it's a much healthier outcome from that point, you know, in the film, it's a much healthier environment for everybody. Um, and, uh, and all about Eve, like we can talk about them second is again, a very different thing happens, uh with truth, but uh, well, I'd be interested to hear what, your take on Mean Girls first, then we can shift. Sure. You. Well, I, I definitely agree with the weaponization of truth. You know, everybody has something that they want to share about somebody else in order to shift focus from them and belittle the other person that they're talking about or sow confusion or manipulate other people to do what they want them to do. So when Regina wants to get back at somebody, she doesn't come at them directly. She always comes up with some sort of lie to, you know, as a smear campaign to get them in trouble, or she doesn't hurt the person directly that she doesn't like. She'll hurt the person that's adjacent to them. So when she saw that her ex-boyfriend was, you know, dating somebody else, 
supposedly then it was the whole well i'm just gonna call up that other girl's mom and pretend to be from planned parenthood and just say that test results came back in and you know just torpedo that potential relationship right there so i think that it's interesting that for a lot of it it is very manipulative in terms of you know hiding your true self behind this facade of this character that you this persona that you want to make and then using other people's truths or the truths that you concoct about them in order to you know push them down a peg or keep them from being competition in this environment that they're in yeah uh the most interesting uh thing to me about <laughs> um sort of most of the characters reveal like like you know are um kind of perceive i should say like revealing the truth to be like a scary thing or something that's going to harm them and then there's that, that weird anomaly with like the coach and like the students like and that and it's like it's probably a good thing that this uh you know that this came out like this is one good thing that came out of that burn book because like you know uh you know it's uh, probably one of the few truly harmful things that's going on it uh, in the school and i think it was very emblematic of the early 2000s that like it's not as big of a it's almost like a oh that rascally coach they got to chase them out of the out of the school like that would be a huge i mean in reality like that would be a huge deal you know something like that came to light so uh, yeah. it is interesting looking back on a lot of the teen comedies that came out around that time frame or even earlier and some of the stuff that was joked about that it's like by today's standards you're like "Ooh, that has really not aged well or that is way inappropriate but back yeah. then it was it was tolerated there's as a, a couple as word a choices that i will not um repeat on the podcast that uh, yeah. are things that you would not say um absolutely yeah uh you know and, and really like any any context um you know, but uh, yeah, I was like, whoop, that did, I'm like, that didn't age well. <laughs> no, I do feel like the thing with the coach and also like the the drug allegations around Tina Fey's character, mm -hmm. I, I think it serves the purpose of kind of like grounding the kids in the fact that, oh, you know, as an, when you get to an adult or if these are about adults, there's actual consequences for this and you need to learn that now. Yes, that's um, a good point. Yeah, because it, that's that's what actually is like the come to Jesus moment for Lindsay Lohan's character, right? Is is realizing that oh, my teacher could get in huge trouble for this this lie I made up about her. I better actually fess up. It wasn't any of the social stuff and like all of her friends hating her that made her you know step up. It was realizing that oh, this person could actually have their life ruined because of me. Yeah, I I love sort of the um the running like metaphor of like the animal world. Uh, <laughs> speaking of yeah. balance you know and like homeostasis like i uh you know sort of that like i think like it kind of embraces the idea that there is a bit of a sort of like pecking order like in the animal world as as like as well um but also like kind of at the same time saying like hey like we're not like just and i think Lindsay lohan kind of learns that like we're more complicated than that like in other words we can't operate as animals do in the animal world like we have to be sort of better than that and uh and rise above that but i loved that um you know symbolism of <laughs> whenever she imagines something going down you know like tackling and then the ape sounds oh, you know yeah and in the lunchroom and stuff like that just uh, tickled me that was funny uh so let's pivot to all about eve because i think um in a lot of ways like similarly like the the truth is used as a uh as a sort of currency or like weapon um but there's a bit of a, a different outcome so I, i've got thoughts but i wanted to start with either of you and uh i'll, I'll kind of lend my take in a second so 
same thing, same kind of prompt or question. Like, so how did you see the truth um, and like reality and all that stuff kind of functioning, um, you know, in the film and what, are, what is uh, what's being said, you know, it's very, very different, I think. I think the truth is sort of a, a question that Margot is asking herself through a lot of the film because she seems to have, she struggles with trying to identify who she is versus the, the status symbol, the persona that she is in the theater industry. And she's trying to separate out, is this who, really who I am? Is this who other people see me as? Or am I just, you know, is this just my life in the theater? Is theater life? Or should I be able to step back from that? And what would I be if I did? Um, so, I, you know, when she's talking to Bill about that, where she questions whether he really knows who she is or whether he's just around because of the idea of who she is. Um, Age definitely plays into that for the purpose of the film uh, in terms of their age difference and also the unfortunate double standard of that age difference had they been the opposite if she had been younger than him and whether that would have not been an issue where it is for her in the film because she's older than he is. And then I think that it's, um, I think it is also weaponized as well, at least by Eve because we all come to find out the truth behind her that she's, you know, blocked out from everyone else in order to work her way to the top. And the only person who, at least that we know that knows that uh, to, and by the end of it is the schmarmy uh, Addison <laughs> DeWitt. Critic. Yeah, Addison yep. DeWitt, who is pretty much the devil and for the purpose of this film. So, yeah, I would say that in that respect, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's, it's interesting and it sort of ties into another thing that I'd like to talk about where it's the use of the mirrors that they have in the film, which can also segue back to um, back to Mean Girls, but that's kind of digressing. So I'll, May, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> I do want to hear your mirror take. Uh, yes, at some but, point for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because obviously you're like Regina is kind of the main like liar and rumor spreader in Mean Girls. Whereas in All About Eve, um, like at least with Regina, you know, there's kind of like her fake side and her real side and she's real at times to the other plastics. And you kind of get a sense of how she really feels. And it's, it's basically that she's a narcissist and she thinks everyone else is like ugly and terrible, right? Um, whereas with Eve, I feel like I, even after, at the end of the movie, I have no idea what she actually thinks or believes or any, anything about her because she doesn't seem to ever kind of like take the mask off with anyone. Um, at first I thought like maybe with Addison, she was being more candid just because he is a bit of a snake and you find out that he's actually no, like the king snake later, but, <laughs> um, you realize that, oh no, she is being fake with him too, but just in a different way from everyone else. And I feel like that makes her character all the more unsettling because at least with Regina, it's like, well, the audience kind of knows who she really is, even if none of the characters do. Whereas I still don't know anything about Eve. Ironic for a film called All About Eve. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that that was part of what made it a lot more unsettling to me uh, compared to Mean Girls. Um, I also think that like uh, Bill Bill repeatedly says that Margot is just being you know paranoid and um, you know not seeing the truth or reality, just kind of having like these made up fantasies and paranoias in her head. Um, 
And I think that is interesting because it is, it is somewhat paranoia, but it's also somewhat a product of the, the lies and kind of the fake world that Eve has built up for herself because it becomes clear to me, at least by the end of the film, that Eve basically kind of like falls in love and creates these grand love stories with all of like the, the men in her life and then tries her best to make them actually happen. And I think, you know, because she was sending like letters to Bill and Margo found out about that early, like she's never paranoid until she finds out about those letters. And it does seem very much based in truth, but because you know, it's somewhat excusable or, you know, could be seen as like plausibly deniable. Everyone, you know, sees her as being paranoid, right? Um, so I think that's like adds another layer on to the kind of deceit and lies is her being seen as paranoid when she's actually just being very perceptive about Eve. Yeah, I, um, as a side note, it's one of the most satisfying moments, even though he, he is um, King Snake, as you say, when Addison says uh, Lloyd, Lloyd Richards is uh, is not going to like leave, uh, like he cuts right through it. And it's, yeah. ni- it's nice in that moment to see Eve knock down a couple of pegs um, because as you, as you've pointed out, like that she's concocted this, like this is like in her mind, how this is going to, to go down and how things are. And it's not at all true. Um, I do think it's interesting that like, I, I feel like, so the character of Margot to me, genuinely doesn't seem to know who she is and like it's a lot of soul searching whereas like to your point like we don't know who Eve is I think Eve knows exactly who she is and I think that's probably a face that she doesn't show to anybody else right like um so that, that's definitely an interesting um sort of uh contrast between those characters right off the bit that I noticed where I was like I, I do genuinely feel like Margot's been a performer all her life and and maybe like you know has sort of like this um i don't know like uh crisis of of identity right like of like which is the real mar do like have i been the real margo at any point right because it's not just on the stage where she has to give a performance like you look at her social events and things like that like i think a lot of that is definitely perform people remark on it right like um i think like even tell her to like you know hey like it's okay time out like let's just hang and enjoy the party um right um I think as far as like the weaponization or like the currency of uh, truth, like um, so the, the characters that are sort of honest or engage in honesty in this movie are definitely the ones that are able to escape, um, not unscathed perhaps, but like end up in a better place. Whereas like Eve who kind of doubles down, you know, when she, like, I think the scene that really springs to mind is when she confronts Karen in the ladies room and that's where like really like full force you like you get a sense of like who she is like maybe that's like the closest you get to seeing the mask slip fully off yeah Uh, um you know it backfires right like so she's somebody that kind of continues in dealing with that and um from from that point in the film forward like uh all the way through to to, to the conclusion um things kind of uh don't end up well for I mean Addison I guess is the only one you could argue that like is unscathed or on like marred by the truth but also he's somebody who's dealing in that that currency right like of um knowing the secrets and and he weaponizes it against Eve and who's to say that like that won't come back to bite him in, in the ass at some point I think like that's sort of the moral lesson you're supposed to take from from the movie is that like the, these all have consequences right keep has secrets have consequences and lies have consequences um so yeah 
me look through my notes and see so I can stay on on track here. Another uh, interesting thing with Karen is like the the lie that she tells um, about like the car breaking down and like mm -hmm. that whole like trick is about to come back to bite her when she realizes that, oh, she's going to have to screw her friend over because Eve is blackmailing her. And then just magically, Margot doesn't want the role anymore. And she's just laughing hysterically at yeah, the table. Yeah, that outburst of laughter is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like saved by the bell moment, truly. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how to feel about that and kind of like how that, I guess, kind of confuses the overall like moral lens of like the, the ones who deal in lies tend to pay a price at the end because she's yeah she gets let off the hook i guess a little yeah. bit um in that i guess i guess not because then her husband and margo have a thing <laughs> maybe yeah. that's the, the repercussion yeah that's that's a good point yeah that's yeah. that's true um yeah that is there's a uh it's a great point um so let me ask you with uh about um sort of um the the outcomes and this idea of like a cycle because i think like i noticed that there's like sort of like this theme of the like this being cyclic a little bit so like thinking to the end of mean girls you see the uh the junior plastics or whatever they are like the you know or the freshman plastics like kind of acknowledging that like there's always going to be like this new batch and 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 eve you've got um the young actress that shows up and is very eve-esque in in the, the room so <laughs> Um, did you guys pick up on that, like in both the movies and how do you feel about that? Is that just cynicism, you know, um, <laughs> like, or what? I think it's just like acknowledging that like, there's always going to be power struggles between people and then between women. And it's something each generation kind of has to learn slash unlearn um, for better or for worse. Yeah, the uh, the poster um, for All About Eve um, cracked me up because it says it's all about women, and then there's an ellipses and they're men. <laughs> like it was <laughs> such a weird tagline to me. Like, you guys saw that? Because like, um, I you know it must be a sign of the times or something, but I just thought that was so fucking bizarre. Like, um, because like to some extent, yes, I guess that's that's a little bit true, but I, I think like. Um, to me, like the reason I, I found all about you fascinating for a movie that came out in the fifties, it is this woman centric. Like, I mean, that is like sort of the focus, which probably would have been a little bit unusual, um, for the time. And certainly like, as we talked about at the beginning of the segment, um, how the women are portrayed seems very, um, ahead of its time. So I'm sorry to that guy. I just, that occurred to me, it popped into my brain and I was like, oh, I got to tell somebody else this, like, especially on the, the podcast because it's like, what? <laughs> um, so I think Eve has a much darker, you know, more cynical ending. Whereas like Mean Girls, although there is sort of the freshman plastics, it does have a, a air of hope. Do you guys agree? Like I thought it was a bit more of a hopeful ending. Um, there was sort of the idea that yeah, that they would be able to sort of keep them in check a little bit better, like show them you don't have to be that way versus letting it get out of control and the imbalance that they had before. I think there's also hopefulness just in the idea that Katie, like in her kind of final monologue is like, yeah, I was like the awkward new kid and then I became a plastic and I became the most hated girl in school, but now I'm just a normal person and <laughs> like happy. And it was a weird way to sum it up, but I think it does communicate the idea that 
a lot of people as they're coming of age in middle school and high school go through these phases of being like awkward slash bad people and figuring out what is and isn't okay and what will and will not get you like actually like good friendships um and I think that was kind of like the where, where the hopefulness came for me was just that eh, a lot of people go through this but it's just kind of a coming of age thing and you'll come out on the other side like feeling like more of a full-bodied human <laughs> and the, the clicks like while not entirely dissolved I feel like some of those walls and like barriers come down a bit like where you see um characters sort of making peace and like um kind of intermingling a bit more like um that chart that seating chart I had to hit the pause screen my god the lunchroom uh, <laughs> was um just I think a stroke of brilliance like in terms of like just like sort of a visual representation of clicks and how people are categorized in high school um but it rang true in a lot of a lot of ways for me I thought like um like I can recall um the different clicks that were in my high school and sort of where they sat like I still remember like kind of like the lunchroom and all that kind of stuff and one of the reasons that I relatively like I think like easily like navigated high school was like I didn't really belong to any clicks like I was just friends with everybody like I like to surf so I hung out with some of the surfer kids um but I also like loved heavy metal so like occasionally I'd pop over to the goth circle and bum a cigarette and talk like you know <laughs> um some heavy metal right like um it's very on I brand for you Chris <laughs> I just, you know, like, uh, I, I, I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere in particular. And I certainly didn't want to like brand myself like with one specific identity. Um, so, but a, a lot of my friend circle were the same way, right? Like, like where they, they sort of bounced around. So we, we like escape. I saw a lot of that stuff happen. Like I remember mm -hmm. some, some famous like feuds, you know, between groups, uh, nothing on par with like the Capulets and the Montagues, you know, mind you, but like, uh, they certainly thought it was at the time, but, um, so it was, it was nice to be a little bit of a silent observer. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yes, that, that, uh, visual representation in the event, like with the tables, like was, uh, was a nice little stroke of genius. I thought pretty on point. Do you guys remember your high school clicks? Like, was it? Uh, <laughs> did, did oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's an emphatic guess from, from May. How about you, Will? <laughs> I do. Uh, I was sort of the loner kind of floating in between groups there too. So it wasn't so hard. I was definitely more of in a group of nerdy kids at the time, which I was perfectly okay with. That was sort of the safe zone. Um, I've never seen, I always watch all these like, I don't know, these teen movies and I see like a lot of the bullying or like the ridiculous sort of awkward cafeteria scenes where everybody turns and looks yeah. at one person. And I always wonder like if that actually happens in real life or if that is just over dramatization for the sake of the film, because I feel like that happens a lot for the sense of narrative in these films that sure. we watch. But you know, I always think about like my own experiences in high school and I think, man, you know, this is really, I'm glad mine was at least toned down because I feel like it was never nearly this over the top. So I don't know if you guys experienced anything similar, but I swear the only time that got that, like things that got that kind of attention in high school, like other yeah. than that, like if people were just having words or getting snippy, like nobody would have thought twice, but like if there was a fight breaking out, like, oh yeah, it, <laughs> we got physical, which happened a decent amount in my school. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, no burn book came out and everybody and like order just evolved into absolute anarchy and you didn't have to call and say guys I'm scared. 
don't know what's going on right now. No, no burn books. Um, yeah, there was there was like rumors occasionally that would uh, fly around and stuff. I, I feel like the rumors that I remember most are actually ones centered around teachers more than other students. But maybe that's just you know I don't know like why that is. But like I'm sure there were rumors about students that uh, bounced around. But yeah. Let's now uh, talk about our judging criteria. So I, I want to hear what your individual criteria was. Like, so we'll go one at a time and then we'll vote at the end. So just tell me what your criteria was to start. May, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, so I have kind of an overall enjoyment criteria. It's number one. Just like how did, how, how was the vibe? How did I feel watching the film? Uh, number two, I think would be uh, cinematography, because that's always a big thing for me. It's kind of like how they set up the scenes with the shots. Um, like, do they use any cool tricks or special effects? Uh, three would just be like the acting and casting. Four, I would say would be writing. And five uh, is like social commentary for me. So I have five points. Very cool. I had similar stuff. So I have like, how is it aged? um performances so like acting performances writing and then general craftsmanship is what i put so like uh, which would include like cinematography or sort of like narrative structure i kind of lumped all that to, together in one so that's that's what we have very similar criteria how about you will truthfully uh i have nothing else to add because everything that you guys covered is pretty much spot on with what i would be looking for in a film especially if it's coming down to the writing and the cultural relevance so i i wish i could throw in something else and not to make it sound like i am copying my uh classmate but i think that that is good where we're at nice uh, yeah i mean I, I think it speaks volumes that like you know uh may and i had almost identical sort of like criteria right it's a good good kind of a place to judge a film i think it encompasses most of what you'd be wanting so um do you want to talk about uh each of the films and how they uh performed on your criteria list or do you want to just do a straight vote how would you guys want to do that i'm down to talk through them yeah sure uh, who wants to go first i, I don't mind i, I guess i have volunteered myself yes so. go for it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna go down my list. Uh, for overall feel, um, as much as I enjoyed All About Eve, I did get like, because it is a somewhat darker and more serious film, it was less just like enjoyable to watch. I think this is a, a hard criteria to compare them for just because this is more of a drama and Mean Girls is more of a comedy, uh, but it was a lot more fun to watch Mean Girls. So Mean Girls gets the point for number one. Uh, number two, um, I'm actually forgetting the order I said these in now, but okay. I'm, yeah, uh, I'm going to go straight to like, uh, acting and casting. Um, I mean, casting for both of them was fantastic. I do think that the acting was str much stronger for all about Eve, uh, in part because of all of the zingers they had to deliver and make it seem like natural and roll off the tongue, as well as I think the facial acting specifically with uh, the actress that played Eve and how quickly she goes from seeming very nice and oblivious to spawn of Satan in just like a look. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the point to All About Eve for the uh, acting. And then writing, I would also have to give to All About Eve uh, with all the singers it has. Um, I think Mean Girls definitely captures in a way I haven't seen in a lot of other films the kind of like 
uh, double speak a lot of girls do when they are being like you know catty and bullying like the oh pointing something out and complimenting it specifically because you think it's ugly for instance yes um and that kind of stuff like it does a really good job capturing that but i just think overall all of that you've had stronger writing um for its lines and um i do prefer the kind of unsettling ending of all about eve as well um i feel like things were maybe a bit too neatly wrapped up in mean girls at times um number four it's hard to compare the cinematography just because i feel like mean girls is very much like in this vein of you know 2000s movies of having like you know scenes like you pointed out chris with like the animal sounds and like kind of these like fake imaginary inserts that are commentary on something that just happened in the film um and i don't love that trend personally i know it's very common in that era but i We'll also have to get this point to all about Eve because I thought that the camera shifts in a few scenes were really, uh, they really added a lot to the story in a way that um, I really wasn't seeing in Mean Girls. For instance, when Eve is telling uh, the you know group of screen screenwriters and actors like her backstory for the very first time after Mrs. Richards brings her in. Um, Birdie walks in from the bathroom right before she tells her story and goes to stand behind um, the rest of the group and the camera actually shifts. So it is showing everyone in the dressing room besides Eve facing her as an audience and then Eve facing everyone else. And it's very clear in that moment that this is a performance and it's yeah. her debut. And I just, oh, I loved that. Um, and there are more things like that that happened. So cinematography goes to all about Eve as well. And then last but not least, social commentary. Mean Girls has a lot more relevant social commentary just because of the time period. But there is a line I, I wrote down and saved from All About Eve that really struck me. Um, and it's when Margot is lamenting to Karen in the back of the car. I think it's right after it has broken down. And she says, funny business, a woman's career. The things you drop on your way up the ladder so you can move faster, forget you'll need them again when you get back to being a woman. And I think it's the most like poetic, f funny, and yet relatable way I've heard the double standard a lot of professional women face described because we are expected to drop a lot of the kind of traditional trappings of being, you know, a woman to move up in our careers, but we're still like expected to be like loving wives and homemakers and mothers um, as much as we're able to while also balancing these careers. And I think she kind of describes that double-edged sword in a really great way. Um, so I'm going to say it's a draw on social commentary, just because I think All About Eve makes some really good points, but Mean Girls is more relevant. And that, I believe, is a win for All About Eve for me. I think it was three to one. So, yeah. All About Excellent. Eve wins. Amazing. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll go next. Um, so for how it's aged, um, I, I just put the word timeless for All About Eve. Like, yes, I know there are some <laughs> things like, I'm sure you guys picked up on the, uh, all the discussions of like film kind of being the lower art form with like film and theater. That was a big thing, you know, back when like, um, you know, probably especially like the 40s, 50s and 60s started there started to be a shift like with sort of like the more personal uh storytelling of like the late 60s to early 80s in film but like 
um, one of my dear friends who's passed away, like uh, taught acting at Juilliard and uh, he was active. I think I've told you guys about Gene before, but he said that it was very much like if you were a serious actor or serious director, serious writer, you worked in the theater. Like that's what you did. Like um, television was unspeakable, but like, but film was sort of like, you know, like the next like lower kind of art form. So um, that aside, I think that like All About Eve is timeless and um, Mean Girls I put as aged fairly well. Uh, there's some problematic words used and some other <laughs> things that are of the time, but overall it was aged pretty well. Uh, performances. So I have first class, uh, particularly shouted out Sanders, Baxter, Davis, and Ritter. So um, uh, Saunders is, or Sanders, uh, however you say his name, was the guy that played Addison DeWitt. Thought he was delightfully evil and, uh, you know, just, just great uh, in that movie as well. For Mean Girls, I have they range from okay to great. Um, in particular, I loved um, McAdams, Polar, and uh, Kaplan. Um, I thought we're all fan fantastic. Uh, and then um, for writing, I put All About Eve. I, ha I have it chock full of wit uh, with um, a dash of, of sorrow and uh, many relatable themes. Uh, I thought that Mean Girls was cute and clever at times, and I loved in particular the the running thing of the animal world, which we've already kind of touched on. And then general craftsmanship, I have First Class for All About Eve. Um, I said this movie flies by and is interesting from the very first scene. Like I just love the setup and the uh, the award show at the opening and the sort of narrative from Addison DeWitt. Um, and then uh, for Mean Girls, I have that it's uh, it's decent. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it does stand apart from other high school movies. Um, there's some very very clever things that are done, and then in other ways it feels very of the time and like kind of like comfortably in that subgenre of uh, comedy. So I give this also to All About Eve. I did not like score one over the other. I just kind of had general <laughs> comments for each of those. So All About Eve firmly for me and. Uh, Will, your vote still counts, uh, despite what, <laughs> what, what people on conspiracy theory uh, radio shows may tell you. Uh, <laughs> go so ahead, it's man. nice to uh, to let you know that I've invited a guest to our show today who will also be voting. No, I <laughs> Phoning in someone to assist. There. You're uh, I know, exactly. Like, hey, yo, I was, watched this film. It's uh, Sylvester yeah, Stallone. Sylvester I, Stallone, yeah. <laughs> I heard what you were saying about me. <laughs> Sorry, I told you I'd be back. You know, so, yeah, so yeah, full circle. Oh yes. my goodness! So yeah, no, I um, uh, all right. So this is gonna sound a lot like what you guys have mentioned, but I'll try to to vary it up a little bit more. And I will for everybody involved. I'll go ahead and say all about Eve as well. We'll take this one for me. So there will be no no necessary uh, I don't um uh arguing of the of the verdict there, but. I will say from an enjoyment factor, definitely Mean Girls had it more for me. And I say that because of the fact that it, that All About Eve is darker, because you're not really sure about the ending. You're like, OK, so there's going to be a lot more of these of these people that, you know, sort of emblematic of that mirror scene at the end where it's it goes from one girl who's trying to, you know, to take this, you know, this symbol of success and then it just multiplies and you see an infinite number of eaves quote unquote symbolized in the the infinite mirror shot that we have at the end so in that respect it's the it's sort of i don't want to necessarily compare it to a horror movie but it's sort of the same thing like okay so the main cast of characters found resolution but there's that one person that oh you know something's something's dangling there for a sequel 
And so that was sort of the, you know, it, it ends on kind of that note where, yeah, things are going to continue or could get worse. And so for me, from the enjoyment factor of Mean Girls, having a, a, happy, a more optimistic resolution, I feel like that was where the enjoyment entertainment value for me made more sense to, to vote that way. Yeah. Uh, cinematography, going back to the use of mirrors and All About Eve for me was pretty much why, one of the reasons why I like the cinematography better in that. I think it's interesting when you juxtapose a lot of characters in mirror shots or you show mirrors as a way of identifying the duality of a character when they're changing their mind about what they're, what they're, end goal is or they do something that's out of character or they are um, grouped with another character for whatever comparison you want to make so for instance margo when she's in the dressing room at one point you see that um eve is in her reflection as sort of symbolizing that okay that this is their their attachment and eve's desire to you know to go for what margo has and essentially supplant her later in the film as you know the the top dog um, or using it as a reflection of self. So when Margot's wondering, you know, later about who she is and what her own personal identity is versus the persona that she's made. Um, and even early in the film too, when she questions her own importance, when she's sort of not really in makeup, but she's looking at the mirror and then Bill comes in and makes some off the comment uh, remark about what her face looks like. And, it is sort of that whole establishing of you know her own insecurity with that and her percept how she is perceived i thought was really important acting wise again all about eve uh just because of the fact that it is the i mean we could say the the one-liners that are delivered really well i know we can we can keep coming back to that and it's true i feel like this age of hollywood they were much more concerned about making sure that you had a really tight script and you had a really good cast of characters and so for me it's it's i i have to go with that for the acting um that's not to downplay the the actors that we had in mean girls because i love that cast as well and i think that they was essentially they were the perfect people for those roles um but i just think comparing the two i have to go with all about eve writing is kind of the same way um I would say writing's a little bit more of a draw for me. And I say that only because I, and this is probably just because of the fact that it's been done so much, but I get a little, not necessarily tired of, but I, there's been so, there's so much Hollywood film that's about Hollywood that, it, or about the theater that it's sort of like, the people in, in Hollywood loves films that are about itself and about the process and about its own sort of like, uh, self-importance and so <laughs> it's like it's it's nice to see something that's a little bit more relevant that I can empathize with more in terms of what these characters are going through and their growth and trying to you know find themselves and you know learn the right and the wrong way to interact in a social environment and the consequences of what that could be um, I think is definitely a lot more <laughs> grounded in my reality than it will ever be for, say, if I tried to be an actor or in theater, and that guaranteed will never happen, unless somebody hears this and thinks I sound great. But uh, I will I will have to say that culture, and that ties into my last point, cultural relevance, I think that it's easier to understand Mean Girls and where that's coming from versus... Um, versus sort of the, the 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 overall perspective of theater or film 
And that's just because of the, that industry. Uh, whereas we have a high school where I feel like everybody, no matter who you were, can relate at some level to trying, trying to go through that crucible of, you know, breaking down who you were or reinventing yourself. And whether that's in high school or college or both, you know, going through that age and trying to, to figure out who you are. So on that note, I will leave us with a quote from me, girls, to even it out a little bit, where uh, Katie made the comment that it was better to be in the plastics hating life than to not be in it at all. And I thought that was an interesting comment that she made about midway through the film, I feel like. And I think that we can all sort of unfortunately relate to moments where we might have thought that that was true until we realized that we had other options. So, but in the end, all about Eve, got to hand it to a classic film, still classic, still timeless. So there you go. Beautifully said, my friend. Uh, you, I mean, you made a pretty compelling case, you know, for, for me, girls, despite coming down on All About Eve. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I'm glad that we got to this pairing because I did think it was an interesting, like, sort of pairing. And um, I love comparing these two films and watching watching them, you know, not back to back this week, but like within a couple of days of each other was a quite a fun experience. Like, um, because I, I think they do have a lot of similarities, um, you know, similar themes, but um obviously like like we've established they come down um in completely different places by the end, I think, about what they have to say about people and and to your point, relatability for sure. Um it's no mistake that uh you know you got Sunset Boulevard, what like four or five years after this one, um, is another mm. movie that's about an aging actress. Like, so you are correct that Hollywood loves to. Uh, sniff its own farts uh, to use the South, <laughs> the South Park uh, definition of what smug means. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, if we've got a couple of minutes, I'd love to do a round of uh, Pitch Storm. Um, May was going to uh, draw. I've never played this, so I'm quite excited to uh, to see how this is going to shake out. But May, you want to explain and uh, lead us through this last bit? Yes. So, Pitch Storm is actually a game by the lovely Ben Kepner, and it is a card game of uh, pitching amazing slash horrible movie ideas. So uh, I have two stacks of cards here. One is plot cards. Uh, one is character cards. Mm. Uh, I will be timing you both. You'll each have a minute to give me a pitch based on a randomly drawn plot and character. I have a pile of notes here that I can choose uh, that I'll pick from to give to you for inspirations of things that you should actually <laughs> uh, incorporate into your pitch instead, because I am the director and I may or may not like what you're pitching me. And then between the two of you, I will vote on the best pitch. I think we can probably <laughs> do two rounds, uh, maybe three. We'll see how the first one goes. Um, <laughs> you will each be able to either pick a character out of a short selection or a plot out of a short selection. The other one will be completely random. So, Chris, would you rather have a say over your character or your plot? So when you say say, like I can. I'll give you own. a few options and you'll have to pick one. The other one, it'll be completely random. You will have no choice in the matter. Oh, <laughs> a plot. I would rather have a choice of a plot. Okay, cool. So I will draw your <laughs> cards and uh, let you know your options. Um, option one. Uh, blank, because you know we'll fill in the character next. Blank is held hostage at a karaoke bar run by mobsters. Ooh. Option one. Option two. Blank fights in bloody gladiator death matches. Mm -hmm. Option two. 
Option three, Blank tries to escape an island full of hungry dinosaurs. <laughs> Option four, Blank fights to save their family from demonic possession. And option five, uh, fights to thwart an ancient and unstoppable evil. Okay. So, so to recap, own... we have a karaoke bar run by mobsters. We have a bloody gladiator death match. We have an island full of hungry dinosaurs. We have a family uh, experiencing demonic possession and we have a family experiencing an ancient and unstoppable evil. Cool. Uh, genre, do I have to stay within a genre or I nope. can like, nope. okay, sweet, sweet. Uh, I am going to go with the karaoke bar. Okay. <laughs> karaoke bar monsters. Now it is your turn, Will. Would you like to have a plot or a character? Oof. Plot, please. Okay. So, Will, your options are blank is stranded on a desert island. Mm. Blank gets lost in the Amazon jungle. Blank throws a bachelor slash bachelorette party that goes horribly wrong. <laughs> nice. Bl blank races around the world in a hot air balloon. And Blank is abducted by aliens. So to recap, we have stranded on a desert island, gets lost in an Amazon jungle, throws a bachelor slash bachelorette party that goes wrong, around the world in a hot air balloon, and abducted by aliens. Pick your poison. I know. My gut's like, go with the alien thing. But no, I got to go different. I got to go against the grain. Try something <laughs> else. Oh, man. Amazon jungle. Amazon jungle. Okay. So you each have your plots. I'm going to draw. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Cool. Well, I'm going to draw a character card for you. You will have to instantly launch into your pitch. And you'll have a minute for your pitch. Okay? So you'll have no prep time. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it, uh, baby. All right. Three, two, one. Your character is a princess determined to rescue herself who gets lost in the Amazon jungle. Go. All right. So imagine this. We have a princess. Her name is Christina. She is lost in the Amazon jungle. Her plane crashed. She is trying to not only find her way out of the jungle, but will also through the trials and tribulations that she experiences with the local tribes that are there, perhaps some other nefarious um, uh, people that are trying to steal precious jewels that are in the let area me, let me well. Let me stop you right there. I, I think oh. we need more tornadoes in this movie. We need more tornado. Okay, so there's also, uh, so we're dealing with global warming, right? So there's some <laughs> weird shifts in the atmosphere. We've got these un unexplained like, uh, weather phenomena there's a twister so think bill paxton twister now but in the amazon with christina the princess she's trying to find her way out what's going to happen we don't know lots of twists and turns peril but in the end she comes out all right learns a little bit about herself thank you mr rotondi <laughs> awesome that, that also, the beautiful. budget for that film is going to be at least, I'm going to need about 100, 100 <laughs> uh, maybe 100 to 200 if we can okay. work that. Okay, well, my people will call your people. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, next up, we have uh, Chris Waterman. Um, are you ready, Chris? I'm ready. All right, so one, two, three. A group of friends on their last night before they all leave for college are held hostage at a karaoke bar run by mobsters. 
All right. So, so we've got all of your classic uh, high school, like, you know, like friend circle group. This is going to be a classic high school film. You know, we've got your, your geek friend. We got the jock. We've got the goth girl. They're out for a night of karaoke before they leave and suddenly realize that uh, it is a bar run by the mafia. What they didn't know is that the jock is into the mafia deep. He's got <laughs> debts up to his neck. How did he get that in high school? Well, he's got a bit of a gambling problem. He likes to throw the games at the football, uh, high school football games and collect on the games. Oh man, Why- man, man. I just had a crazy thought. Let's set this whole thing on the International Space Station. Yeah, so... Uh, how do they get to the space station? Well, the mafia are known engineers of rocket ships. So they throw them into what they think is going to be their holding cell while the mafia decides what to do with them. Boom, the walls collapse. Up they go. They're in a rocket and now they're being held hostage in space. How does it go? Well, let's see. Money doesn't matter in space. So it becomes an all out bloody warfare as these high school kids try to f- fight against the mafia to escape the space station. That is that is time. <laughs> uh, for the record, I would actually watch that film, not to <laughs> shoot my chances, but I would I would I would watch that. A twenty four, right? Is that the next movie? That <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Waterman. My people will call your people. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that was a curveball. I was not expecting. <laughs> In space. Literally written on the notes card. If you don't believe me. So. Yep. <laughs> uh that was beautiful um i do feel like chris you had a more interesting combo of cards to work with (laughs) so i will have to give it to chris on that one are you guys uh down for another round yeah let's let's do let's do one more and if we need a tiebreaker we could do a third perfect we can do a lightning round at the end uh if we need it all right so once again would you like to pick your character or your plot oh i'm gonna let will go first since Chris won the last round. Very good. Sure. Um, I'll go with plot. All right. So option one, blank gets in big trouble with the mafia. <laughs> uh, blank receives an unexpected message from God. Ooh. Blank is trapped in a dark version of our own reality. Blank discovers a terrible secret about their own family. And Blank steals a magical treasure from a dangerous witch. So to recap, we have getting in trouble with the mafia, getting an unexpected message from God, getting trapped in a dark version of our own reality, discovering a terrible secret about their own family, and stealing a magical treasure from a dangerous witch. Dark version of her own reality. All righty. This is going to be a good one. All right. What about you, uh, Chris? I'm going to go with, I'm going to switch it up this time. I'm going to go with character and then just see what, uh, what the fates have in store <laughs> for the plot. Oh, this could be interesting. An untrained vigilante is option one. Mm-hmm. Option two, a mime with magical powers. Mm-hmm. Option three, an aging hippie that longs for the good old days. Option four, a fraternity on the verge of suspension. Mm-hmm. And option five. A heroic young naval officer. So to recap, we have an untrained vigilante, a mime with magical powers, an aging hippie, a fraternity on the verge of suspension, and a heroic young naval officer. Go with the mime. Give me All Mr. Right. Mime. <laughs> Not Mr. Mime the Pokemon, to be clear. Just you know. Does that mime. does that mean you have to like 
just just mime your whole an answer. I, I hope not. <laughs> uh, <even> better. <laughs> That's hard mode. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you would like to go first this round? If you if you want, I'll go first this time. Okay. All right. Um, so a mime with magical powers mm -hmm. discovers a map leading to a legendary treasure hoard. Sweet. So, All right. Go. So uh, this is going to be the newest Marvel superhero. We're going to debut him in the film, not even in the comics. And uh, his, I'm just going to call him Mr. Mime. His name is Mr. Mime. So Mr. Mime discovers a map that leads to the seventh unknown Infinity Stone. That is the treasure he's going after. <laughs> he, he's fighting bad guys. Oh, you thought you were going to punch Mr. Mime? Uh-uh. There's a wall in front of him that he just made with his mime <laughs> uh, you know wait you know what would be even better what if the main character's best friend was a mysterious robotic butler well that's perfect Ooh. because uh the mysterious robotic butler as it turns out is vision uh-uh he's not dead <laughs> he's just a butler he's back where he started he was a butler to tony stark and now he's a butler to mr mime <laughs> accompanying him on all of his adventures mr mime rings the invisible dinner bell oh can i get some food mr butler boom it's right there in front of him so yeah, that's, that's the pitch. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Waterman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Will, it is, it is your turn. Um, Let's do it. All right. So to remind yourself, your plot is trapped in a dark version of our own reality and your character is a woman that can speak to ghosts is trapped in a dark oh. version of our own reality and go. So imagine a woman, she can speak to ghosts. It's kind of like the sixth sense. Not really sure what's going on, why she could speak to them. Her grandfather's there, talks about goblins. Seems like it might be a reference to an older film that we might've watched. Not sure about that either. But then like trapped in a dark version where suddenly no one can see her, but everyone can see the ghosts. And it's a mystery about what exactly is going on. Why did this change happen? Why is this an alternate reality that she's stuck in? And can these ghosts actually be part of the solution to figuring out how to get her back? Hold on, to hold on, hold on. I just, I just, I just got a, an important message uh, from, from my boss. Uh, what if we set this in a future where Dippin' Dots is the world's most valuable resource? We, we just got to deal with Dippin' Dots. So we, ha we have to do this. Changes in the timeline can have unexpected effects. You know, uh, Demolition Day had, uh, we had Taco Bell was the choice of food in the future. I say Dippin' Dots, replace it with that. Alternate reality, for some reason, this is the currency of the future. And so at the same time, this somehow is the key to unlocking the secret of why these ghosts have somehow become visible how our protagonist can become visible again, how she can switch to go back to find her way home and that is, solve That the... is time. That is time. Ah, Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Probably for, the, probably for the best that it was time, but we're good. I imagine throwing some Dippin' Dots into your wallet and then trying to buy something later and be like, oh, son of a bitch. Like, I only had so much time. <laughs> it's depreciating just... too fast. Because you made a because you made a troll two reference, I'm just imagining that dip and dots is like the green food equivalent. <laughs> Grandpa said, "Dude, that oh man, I've been jamming on that all." Got some dip and dots. 
Okay, yeah. I, I do. I do actually have to give that one to Will for the for the for the troll tree reference. Also, just having the 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 worst notes I could give you. Yeah, like, <laughs> and rolling with it. Uh, our lightning round tiebreaker is: you are not going to get to choose anything. I'm going to read you a character and a plot, and you just have to go. Word. Let's but do will, it, nerds. There will be no notes. I won't interrupt you. So, oh. uh, Ellie, Ellie has thoughts. Okay. Ellie's like, no, there will be notes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, I'm going to have Will go first again. Yep. That's all right. Okay. So, Will, mm -hmm. you are pitching me a genie trapped in a magic lamp, finds mm -hmm. to save a rare and mysterious animal from poachers. Okay. So, a genie trapped in a lamp. I know everybody wants to think Robin Williams, possibly Will Smith. That's not really what this is going to be about. This is going to be more realistic. There's going to be a lot less. Uh, we're going to say this is grittier. Trapped in a lamp. You know, he's got a lot of time alone. He's been isolated. He is like the guy trapped on a desert island for a very long time, trying to figure out what has happened to, and I apologize, I forgot the rest of it. <laughs> there's a dog. There's an animal. What was the thing? <laughs> there is a dog here. I can hear it, but... <laughs> Oh, I think you're on mute, mate. Thank you. Uh, I, I paused your time also for this. Uh, Fice to save a rare and mysterious animal from poachers. A rare and mysterious animal. Oh, sorry. So the genie who's suddenly been unlocked has decided that similar to him not wanting to have gone through the same ordeal for so long stuck in this lamp, he's going to go out and be good to something else in the world. And it just happens to be that he has learned about this rare and endangered species of bird that he is he he feels connected to will have some symbolism in there you know the idea of being able to fly and free yourself something like that we'll work it all out later in the script that and, is that is time uh, <laughs> i'm sorry that was that was a tough one with the dogs uh yes. giving their input they're like no this is terrible you stop that. it stop you it, it. <laughs> no oh god all right well done thank you thank you mr Ratane. we'll take that under advisement right. <laughs> it's it's definitely uh, advisable. Uh, it needs a lot of work. We'll get back to you with a better idea later. But yeah, that was fun. Aww. It's good practice. It's good practice for later. Chris, it's all on you, baby. You got this. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Are you ready? I am. Okay. <clears throat> a journalist on the trail of a huge story is kidnapped by terrorists. Go. Love the kidnapping plots. All right. So, um, a journalist on the trail of a huge story is kidnapped by terrorists. The twist in this film is that the story was the terrorist. Little do they know, they're giving the journalists exclusive access to their terrorist organization. The journalist, feigning fear, decides to record and write down everything that's happening, which ultimately leads to the downfall and the demise of the terrorists. Now, it wouldn't be a thriller if we didn't have a love interest. So the journalist meets and falls in love with the pizza delivery guy. That's right. The pizza delivery guy there to just serve everybody food falls in love with the journalist, extracts him from the terrorist organization, and the journalist delivers a banger story for which he wins the Pulitzer Prize. I think the journalist should be played by Sylvester Stallone. And I think <laughs> that you should have a comic uh, play the pizza delivery guy. 
Well, I'm the director. <laughs> <laughs> so Will, Will gets kicked out of the room for interrupting me. And uh, by default, the award goes to Chris. Hey, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. No, but that, that was great, Chris. Great, great thinking on your feet. <laughs> Thank you. That's hard, man. That's really hard. It, it is. It is. I'm imagining that as like a Mission Impossible sequel now. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Yep. You never know when you're going to fall in love. Sometimes it's the pizza delivery man, you know, like right. happens fast in the movies, baby. That's, that's hey, Taylor's you... oldest time. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, shall we draw our, our, uh, our, our final card in and skedaddle? Yes. All right. Uh, so we are going to draw our next main quest. Uh, we just full uh, kind of disclosure, we discovered uh, on our last episode that the versus mode numbers are visible. They're just hard to see. So we actually flip flopped a couple. So if I were to draw another one of those, um, it might be a different number than what's displayed on the screen. So just a full disclosure there. Uh, let me give these main quests a shuffle. May, while I'm shuffling, do you want to abstain if we draw another May card? Do you want to have one more week's worth of break? No, I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. I got to sleep in this weekend. So. Ooh, it is. Was the book better? Is nice. the card, and it is number four, which translates to. Drum roll, please. Blade Runner. Blade Runner is going to be our film, and the novel, of course, is "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep" by Philip K. Dick. This is a great card to draw because, again, behind the scenes, I'm going on vacation for two weeks, so we'll have a bit of a break. This gives everybody time to read the book if you want and, uh, you know, time to to watch uh, the film as well. This is great. I have uh, seen this movie many times, only read the novel once in college, so I'm looking forward to this one. And this is a Will nomination, by the way, in case I didn't say that, so. Noise. We, we I'm excited. Card. Me too. I'm very excited. Um, have you read the the book before, either of you? No, but Philip K. Dick has been on my list forever, and I feel bad I haven't read him yet. Very nice. Well, this is a nice, like, shortish one, if I recall. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably like 150-ish, like, page, like maybe even shorter than that. I feel like I read this in like one sitting when I read it. So, um, and then, it is short. Yep. Yep. The film. Um, has everyone seen the uh, the film? So I've read the book. I've seen the uh, film a big, a big times. old grin yeah. from May that I'm going to translate. <laughs> no, no. Well, you're in for a treat just all around. Like, this yep. is like possibly my favorite sci fi movie. Like, it's up there, really up there. I think it might be my favorite sci fi. So, yay. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope you both have a pleasant rest of the weekend and a, uh, a good couple of weeks while I'm off on vacation. Audience members won't notice the gap because we banked a couple episodes, hence the, uh, the recording dates are a little out of sync. But by the time I come back, I believe we'll, we will be caught up with, uh, with the rest of the timeline, as it were. So uh, until next time, we love you. Bye. Bye. 